Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This is a Rogue Media Network podcast. This is 365 Sports, powered by Sikkim365.com. Josh Neighbors joins us now, Cristobal College Football. And Josh, um, this is a week in the Big 12. We just uh, talked to Brandon Helwig a second ago about UCF trying to snap their four-game losing streak. They run into a West Virginia team that's also trying to snap a a little skin of their own. Um, And this is... um, I don't want to say it's not. It's a must-win for UCF, in my opinion. It's not necessarily for West Virginia, but if both of them want to reboot, this is a good week to do it. Yeah, it's good to be with you, Paul, as always. So West Virginia is coming off two really difficult losses for them. Obviously, the Houston loss, a bit more difficult for them with the Hail Mary situation that happened in the end of that game. And then you've got the loss last week to Oklahoma State. And I think that, that loss in particular exposed to me that they're starting to run out of gas, especially on the defensive side of things. Uh, Ollie Gordon is on a tear. He has, you know, done it to a bunch of teams recently, but it just looks like to me they're starting to run out of gas. And look, their offense can score. I actually think Garrett Green is playing pretty well, despite the fact that his completion percentage is the lowest in the league, I believe, for starting quarterbacks. But I actually think he's getting better. I really do because they did not have much of a passing offense to speak of. And when they need to throw the ball this year, they actually have been able to, uh, especially recently, right, in the game against Houston. It's Houston, but they were able to throw the ball. And last week they were able to throw the ball some. So I think he is coming along as a passer, uh, which is good news for them. C.J. Donaldson has not been as good for them as I thought he was going to be. Uh, He slowed down. So the rushing attack really – most of it, it feels like it's fallen to Johnson, Johnson, someone there. And Garrett Green's had to do a lot. So that he is carrying the load right now. Um, you know, I, I still think it's a tough team. It's like a, they are a very difficult out, that's for sure. And UCF has not been excellent so far against teams that have, uh, you know, are currently or the like remaining Big 12 teams, right? And Oklahoma, obviously, they played pretty close. 
That's off a bye week, though. So you're wondering, like, did you kind of empty the tank there? Look, UCF does have the better roster. Uh, they have the better skill players. I think that's actually pretty clear. Uh, West Virginia, though, I mean, they might have uh, some advantages, just like they've, they've won games in conference. It's a little bit more of a mental edge. And you know, they've come close the last couple of weeks, and they feel like, hey, maybe they should be 5-2, and two, right, as opposed to 4-3 and three, or maybe even 6-1 and one in some folks' opinions. Uh, so I think West Virginia here, honestly, Paul, actually, I would disagree. I, I think it's a bigger game for West Virginia. I think this game is, you know, because all the good things that we've said about Neil Brown and company, you know, it's going to go sliding backwards in a hurry here. And you start to wonder, like, what does the actual record end up as? And if they start the year, uh, you know, that well, and they end the year without a bowl, I mean, Neil Brown is done just despite the fact of how well things started. So, I think this game is massive for them in terms of making a bowl. And I think for schools like UCF, like, yeah, they should be better. Yes, they need to win this game, and they, they both desperately need it. But West Virginia needs it a bit more just because UCF's still transitioning, and Gus Malzahn's not, his job is not in jeopardy at all. Um, and they're still transitioning to being in the new conference. This is a game they should win, yes, but, you know, West Virginia is a desperate, desperate team because the coach is coaching for his job, it feels like, in this game. Yeah, um, it, it's it's interesting. You know, I I took Neil Brown at the hot seat a couple weeks ago uh, because I thought, I mean, they they'd done it. He'd done enough, you know, through that first five weeks of the year. Uh, but you know that like they've got to like if they get to six or seven, which is going to be seven's going to be tough. Six shouldn't be. Yeah. Uh, because between BYU, Cincinnati, and Baylor, they can go two and one in those. Um, you know, I'm not right. even talking about uh, UCF right now. Like, you can find your other couple wins there. They should, like, UCF's on a four-game skid, but they are at home, uh, and John Rice Plumley's back and getting healthier. So, I, I, you know, yeah, I, they might be, you might be right. It might be bigger. I think for UCF, they just need to get off the schneid. They just need to they do, yeah. get, get that dub, and things will change. Uh, Houston and Kansas State in Manhattan, I – like I feel bad for the scheduling in Houston's regard here in that they had Texas exactly where they need them to be, where they want them to be, which was they had a shot to tie or win the game at the end. They got a bad call, um, which seemingly happens when you play Texas, uh, got a bad call and you know, look, bad calls happen. Uh, wasn't the only reason they lost, yeah. but, um, they got that bad call, obviously lost the game right after that. Uh, and, now they've got to go to Kansas State, who's found themselves, which is, I think, Chris Kleiman does this better than any coach in the country. We were talking about at the beginning of the show. When they don't have their fastball at the beginning of the season, he figures out how to get it by the middle and the end, and they close unbelievably strong. And they found it here, and now Houston, off a very disappointing loss, has to go up there and play a very tough team. Yeah, I think it's really nice for K-State that they get another game to refine this two-quarterback thing, right? Um, because that that seems to be the way it is. You know, I think Chris Kleiman's fully aware that the Avery Johnson passing attack is a work in progress, and he was okay last week, but still, like, Will Howard, the better passer of the two. And actually, Will Howard did some things running. That's the big key. When you do the two-quarterback thing, they need to both be threats doing both things, right? We cannot be too obvious with it. And I actually think that's something that a lot of coaches do not do well enough. So credit Chris Kleiman and credit Colin Klein for making sure they are uh, doing that. And I think it's another chance to refine that. I think Houston's probably, they, they're probably spent. I mean, they have really emptied the tank in these last two games. Emotional went on Thursday night, and then last week, obviously, emotionally too. 
you know, they're, they're playing well. I, I would give them that, especially on offense. Donovan Smith has never looked better. Uh, the interception last week was horrific, but he, I mean, really is doing a great job back there. And they do not have much of a run. I know it's the air raid anyway, but they do not have much of a run game to speak of at all. Uh, they do not have a running game they can fall back on or rely on. And when it's on him, and it has been a lot of times, he's actually answered the call besides the second uh, second half of the uh, of the game against Texas Tech, at least as of late, he has been answering that call. So, uh, but here's the thing. Houston should have lost that West Virginia game. You know, the way that they just got gashed in and they got a Hail Mary to win it. Uh, the Texas game, you know, close but no cigar. That's how games like that go. The better program won that game. Uh, there's a reason why those – and, look, bad call, whatever, but, you know, off the bad call, they still had a chance to get a yard, and they went with a rollout play, so they picked the wrong play, too. So they had a chance to atone for it, even though it wasn't their fault, and picked the wrong play. So, for them, I'm worried. Uh, I think it's one-way traffic. Uh, I think this is K-State sharpening the knives at home, getting all the momentum they need because – you know, we'll see what happens in the Texas game, but I think that they know they have a chance to be kind of the team that's peaking at that moment. And uh, if you talked about this, you know, three weeks ago and you looked ahead, you'd be like, really, is K-State going to be much of a threat? If you talked after that game against Oklahoma State for K-State, you'd be like, ah, this is probably not the team that's going to press Texas. That narrative has flipped. They're definitely that team. And they can kind of sharpen the knives this week. I think it's going to be a uh, hammer down situation for K State. Yeah, just to, and just to, as far as like stylistically, not a great matchup for Houston. Just not no. like like just one of those things where Houston could be better than they are, but they've never really like teams that play like Kansas State. That's not really their 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 bag. You know they did. Yeah, and you saw last week, like last drive, like they just ran the ball. Texas ran the ball right right at Houston. Were able to just, I mean, they're like Blake Murphy. Okay, that one pass was behind. Uh, you know, he threw that one rocket, and they're like, let's run the ball, and it worked. And they. They yeah. not, I think the Houston defense will be a little bit tired now. Yeah, we'll talk about Malik Murphy in a second. Uh, but mm-hmm. Oklahoma and Kansas, uh, the best matchup uh, in in the league this week. Uh, Kansas has found a way to win with Jason Bean at quarterback. It is very unfortunate. Uh, I keep lamenting that we don't get to see Jalen Daniels, who I, I think is the best uh, quarterback in the Big 12 overall. Mm-hmm. The guy, like, it, I would trade him for anybody else. You put him on any roster and almost any roster in the country, except for maybe like seven or eight and right. be like, they'll be fine. If J- if a healthy Jalen yeah. Daniels is out there, they'll be fine. He's a college quarterback's college quarterback gamer can win games, like all those things, but he's not in this game. Kansas is going to try to do it with Jason Bean. Um, I think last year, like Oklahoma beat Kansas last year, Kansas has, uh, has Jalen Daniels in the game, I don't think it's the same thing, right? Or the whole game, whatever it was. But I think if Jalen Daniels is the whole game against Oklahoma or that, it's a different thing. This is a different Oklahoma team. They got their scare last week. I feel a little bit nervous for Kansas because Oklahoma is going to try to be making statement wins from here on out because they've got a committee to impress. Right. Uh, Oklahoma is six and one against the spread this year. Uh, that is, uh, I, I believe so. I think the one, the, if you count the UCF game as a push, right. If, you know, the UCF game, at least for me, ended up being a push. Um, last week is the first time I think they have not covered a spread. They end up somehow covering that game against SMU. Um, it's pretty low. ends up being a pretty low number, but the one thing that's funny, you watch Oklahoma last week, they really did go with the let's hammer it. Let's try to run it. Cause this UCF run defense is bad. It did not work. They can, their best rushing game was Dylan Gabriel's performance against Texas. And 
I am a big proponent of not really taking a ton from a game like that just because it's always so wild and crazy, and that was the best game that he played. The good news for OU is this. Kansas has the worst pass defense in the league. Uh, so I would open that thing up, spread it around. And I mean, look, like, I don't think Alan Bowman's very good, but Alan Bowman had his best game this year against guess who Kansas, uh, their, their defense can be had to the air. They've got some playmakers. That's the one thing for Oklahoma. You got to punch early Kansas with Jason Bean has been able to rally at times, but actually they really have not been able to finish the job very often from behind. Last year, you you know think about this, the OU game, they were behind, they tried to rally, they couldn't. Baylor game, they tried to rally, couldn't get all the way back into it. You know, they're, they're not meant to play from behind. Their best thing is they're trying to be dangerous. They're generating a lot of pressure on the quarterback. They're trying to force turnovers. If you can't get stops, and the red zone defense is bad too. If you can't get stops, try and force turnovers. And then their offense is the opposite, right? The goal for them on offense is to control the ball, control the clock. Now, with Jason B, it's actually a little bit of a different proposition just because their passing game is a bit more dynamic and they can hit some explosive passing plays with him at quarterback. But they don't want to be chasing the game. You do not want to be chasing the game against Oklahoma. The good news, though, I think is, is that OU will be electing to pass, so maybe that makes chasing the game a bit easier. But they need to focus on keeping this thing really close and striking distance and, and uh, being able to run the football because that's where they're at their best. They don't want to be having to pass the ball constantly all the time. They want to be able to try and run the football. And Oklahoma's rush defense, you know, I've heard a whole lot. Dusty Dvorak said it last week on the broadcast a bunch. There are some concerns about Oklahoma's rush defense. Um, and KU can scale it up. So I think it's an interesting game. I'm gonna, I mean, I'll roll with Oklahoma for sure. But, uh, you know, the good thing is, in terms of coaching advantage, you feel like KU's right up there, obviously. Uh, maybe even has the better coach in this game. Uh, more proven coach for sure. So they do have some advantages, but... Oklahoma right now, I mean, I think after that escape, yeah, it's a great wake-up call, and I think they'll be ready for this test on the road. All right, let's talk about Malik Murphy. Gives me a little bit of the Dante Culpepper vibes. Big dude, laser rocket arm, um, you know, like the unle- like the, the, the throw you talked about was ridiculous. Horrific. I mean, it's just so bad, so bad. <laughs> yeah, uh, look, you don't, have to, you don't have to throw it uh, 100% like every time, you know, it's like when you're playing Madden, like sometimes you got to throw the bullet. Sometimes you need to give it to Mark. Sometimes right. it's somewhere in between, but um, I, I, I know that they're going to run the ball and, and like BYU's defense is nothing to write home about at all. Um, you know, they, they're, they're easily victimized over there when you get going on them. Um, it's going to be interesting to see though, how Sark built this offense around Malik Murphy for what I'm assuming is it, is two or three weeks. I, I mean, they haven't, they've been right. very vague on Quinn Ewers, uh, but those kind of AC joint things are usually two to four. So I'm thinking probably two to three that they're going to have to roll with Malik Murphy. Yeah. This game was about Texas. Like, let's just quickly, quickly mention BYU. I mean, I don't know how they're five and two. It is unbelievable. That is a, that is a bad football team, Paul. They are, they're, they're bad. I mean, they, they do not, stop the run very well. They don't run the ball very well. They don't throw the ball effectively. They don't stop the pass effectively. I just want to know this. This is their post-game win expectancy uh, in some of their games this year. If you take out Southern Utah and, and Sam Houston. Arkansas had a 96% uh, post-game win expectancy in that game. Obviously, BYU won. Kansas had a 100% post-game win expectancy. BYU had 63 against Cincinnati, so good for them. But Cincinnati is the worst team in the league. And then you look at the rest of their games. Uh, TCU, obviously, 100%. 
Texas Tech, 73% post-game win expectancy. You can shout out the five turnovers, the five extra possessions, but still it was only a two-score game. So this game is – one thing BYU is they're opportunistic, but this game is about establishing Malik Murphy. And I think, actually, this is a game where I will let him cut it loose. And I'm like, yeah, you start with the run. Make sure to build that lead on the ground, right? Ride Jonathan Brooks in the first drive. And I'll tell you this, there is nobody better in this in this college football landscape with the script than Sark is, right? He is one of the best coaches when it comes to the script. So I think that's the good news for them because if they can, get a, if they can build a little bit of early lead, I think they cruise, right? The, the only way this game could get a little dicey, and I don't think it will be at all, I, I actually don't think 17 and a half or 19 and a half or 20 is enough. Um, I, I think, I think they can kind of put the foot down in the beginning of the game and then try to, all right, let's like make sure we, you know, are trying different things here to make sure you're set because they might need all of it next week when they play K-State. This is about getting Lee Murphy in a rhythm uh, and getting him kind of feeling consistent. Yeah. To me, like the only way that, that this game is this, that Dicey is a, a part of the conversation is if Malik Murphy or Arch Manning has to come in because he's like the quarterback play is just bad. Like it's just Sark can't get anything out of anybody and they're, they're running the wildcat and hoping for the best. But right. I just don't foresee that happening with the weapons that they that. have around them on, on offense. I think it'll be fine. I think that, you know, they'll, they'll figure it out. But then again, it is about getting ready for what's going to be a very tough matchup for Texas uh, next week. And look for Malik Murphy. He's auditioning for like, not just Texas, but he's auditioning for the rest of the country too, because Arch Manning is there behind him. Quinn Ewers is still in front of him. We don't know what Quinn Ewers future is going to be after this year. Um, I think that if Quinn Ewers goes to the NFL, that's really good news for Texas, not because they're losing Quinn Ewers. It means that Quinn Ewers had a year good enough to where they're like, yeah, you better go now. Uh, so right. Malik Murphy is either auditioning to be ahead of Arch Manning in the race for the starting quarterback post Quinn Ewers, or he's auditioning for wherever he's going to play after this. Yeah. And, you know, I think people have bad vibes about him just because that one throw and now the drive well, went. I mean, like, this guy's good. Yeah. Everybody talked about how good he was. There's a reason why he's the backup, all right? And there's a reason why there's a competition. And Sark did not, like, I actually thought it would be better off just to hand, like, uh, to hand Quinn Ewers the keys before. I actually think mentally it's better. I don't think, like, having him win win the job was, I don't think that actually gave him a lot. I think they should have just handed them the team because I thought he showed last year he's capable enough. So I thought just kind of making that investment was smart. But, hey, you know, he, they made the competition, and he beats out Murphy. But you hear a lot of good things about Murphy. I mean, you even heard it last year about, like, you know, what he was doing in practice and the different ways they can use him, on, you know, to, to prepare and whatnot. Um, I'm excited to see him play, man. I, I mean, I, I think the situation he was in last week, he's coming in, in the middle of a tight game, you know, with the game on the line, and, like, what are you expecting out of the kid? This is a much more controlled environment. You're at home. You're playing not that good of an opponent. You had a whole week to prepare. The coach will be in your back pocket. The entire team is on your kind of side, too, because they know it's you, right? There's the, They know you're the guy this week and uh, probably next week as well. So a better situation, I expect him to thrive. I expect their offense to be just fine. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Um, elsewhere uh, around the league this week, Baylor and Iowa State um, and Oklahoma State and Cincinnati. Uh, we'll do Oklahoma State and Cincinnati first, and then we'll finish on, on Baylor and Iowa State because uh, it'll transition nicely into our next guest with Sam Bradshaw. But uh, Cincinnati uh, – Josh, I had not watched them play a full game this year. I knew that they were were bad, but watching them last week, they just 
you know, and and, and I kind of said this suck. at the beginning of the year, um, and he played well early on, but when you kind of have to tie your stars to Emory Jones, like this is what you're getting. Like it's, you know, like you, you, you know, like it is, um, it's, it's like, you know, going to a party at your wildest friend's house, like, Hey, it could be fun, but you're probably going to get the cops called because man, yeah. you just don't know what's going to happen with Emory Jones. And there's no real way like nobody. I mean, this is three programs now, Florida, Arizona state, and now Cincinnati and Scott Satterfield has found a way to take this athlete and channel him into a quarterback because he's just, it's just all over the place. Yeah. I don't know him personally at all. Uh, I don't want to speak like too bad of the kid, but he like he's just bad. I, I don't really like what else we're gonna say at this point. There was and they're bad too. There was a point last week where they were running. They had two backs who were averaging eight yards a carry. Both of them were. They were down two scores. Yeah. Like how is like how is that happening? Yeah. And uh, I mean I know they had a chance there at the end, but back to back weeks Vegas has been handing me free money. Because they made they made them uh, him a favorite at home and look the BYU game too like they did outplay BYU but he made a crippling mistake at the end of the game with a pick six and then also the Iowa State game too like and also think about the game against Oklahoma right it was a close game stuck in neutral most of the time they just didn't have a guy good enough to go and grab the game or at least try and grab the game that's been the case of them all year like he'll put up a decent stat line but you don't have confidence and they move the ball and it feels like they do not finish drives very well either in critical moments it just feels like they're not finishing drives and so it's a team you cannot trust and Oklahoma State has got a lot of, they've got a lot of momentum right now i know since say like the games can be close and tricky this is one of those games I would seriously consider limiting how many snaps Ollie Gordon has. The one thing we've seen with Oklahoma State in the past is, especially Jalen Warren there at the end of that stretch in 2021, he was banged up a lot. And if you look at the carry count the last few weeks, it was 21, uh, 30, uh, 29, and I think he had the, I forgot how many catches it was against Kansas, but it was like 30-plus touches in that game, and then 29 touches last week. You know, you're riding him. It's great, but you, you do have to be cognizant. Of you know the fact that he's 19 and I know he's young as you know as young as ever be but like they need to keep him a little bit of a snap count I think just to make sure he's as fresh as possible. I mean, do you want to be in a situation where he's got 100 touches in three weeks heading into the biggest game of the season? You know, or in 120 touches in four weeks, whatever it'll be. Uh, you know, they have Oklahoma, so I want to see Alan Bowman and company kind of try to spread this ball around a little bit because they're going to need that passing attack. We're well, going gonna, to need it for sure. You're going to need. Oklahoma. You're going to yeah. You're going to need something else against Oklahoma. You're not just right. going to roll in there and and be able to just go unless I mean you might be. I mean you might have a transcendent game where Oklahoma you know watches their national ha- championship hopes you know run into the end zone on the back of Ollie Gordon, but you can't have that. You can't hope for like hey we need you to have transcendent moments every week or we're not going to win. You know, like that's that's not a and, and Mike Gundy knows that. Like he knows that. Uh, he didn't get to this point by by not knowing that and going. All right, well, hope our best player is Superman again. Um, you know, because if if that doesn't happen, that look that's where Lincoln Riley is right now. And right, you know, uh, and and they have good players all around, Caleb Williams. But right now, the USC's only chance to win is if Caleb Williams goes full Caleb every single week. That's it. So yeah. you don't want that to be Ollie Gordon where you're going into no. Bedlam and you're like, hey, you need to get 225 and four tutties this week or this is. They, they, they have Bowman and like he's managed games really, really well. They're going to need like 
essentially the good Spencer Sanders performance to yeah. to win. And I think I want to see that this week from them. Like I think they should be trying to rely. Obviously, you want to keep some stuff in the back pocket for next week. But you know, I want to see if you can spread that ball around, get those receivers going too. Yep. Baylor and Iowa State. Uh, this is an Iowa State team that's playing really well. Baylor got their their win last week, but Baylor's two wins are against the two worst teams in the in the Big Twelve right now: UCF and the Great Comeback, and Cincinnati, who they had to hold off and got a wild special teams play that allowed them to to like build the lead for the first time this year. So outside of that, like they Baylor's got to start winning consistently and not just in moments. Yeah, it's. <laughs> This game, this game is uh, just like Baylor's at home, so you're thinking they might figure it out. But at this point, they kind of are what they are, mm-hmm. and so you're thinking, hey, maybe we can stop the run this week. Iowa State's bad at it, but also Baylor's defense has kind of been like the cure for the common offense. Yeah, and uh, I think that that could be the case. And here's the thing, I, you know, with Iowa State, like this game to me is more about Iowa State. So Iowa State wins; they're five and three, and then they're what four and one in the league, I believe, if they get this victory, something like that. Um, yeah, they'd end up being because they're they're three and one right now. And we just forget that like if you play football at Iowa State, you get better. Uh, like you know, how some kids don't get better. Every player at Iowa State just seems to get better. It just seems to be how this thing works. All these people that have stepped into all these roles they didn't think they'd be in, and give them a few weeks, and all of a sudden now they've been coached up a little bit by the folks' names, and they look pretty good. And like Rocco Beck looks like a competent quarterback. Uh, you know, I want to see like can Baylor actually stop the run? Right? Can is or is that something that uh? You know, it's just it's just not in the cards in this year. And look, like last last week they won. I just wanted to see a bit more consistency out of them. And it just because it felt like they could move the ball. I mean, I know you guys talk about it all the time. It felt like they could move the ball at will, essentially, all over Cincinnati. And so it felt like they could have scored like fifty points in that game, but they didn't. And um, you know, you, you like you just hope that like three, they could move in like thirty one twenty or thirty one eighteen or whatever. But no, that that thing was was it thirty one twenty nine was the final, whatever yeah. it was. It was it was dicey late and it's it should have been, and that's how Baylor has been. They just they have not been good enough when it's mattered. And yeah, I expect a tight game in this one. You know, I I, I want to roll with Baylor because here's the thing: if Baylor wins this game, they're actually above 500 in the league, which would be crazy. And you made a good point. Yeah, the wins have come against the worst teams. A couple of them have, but um, well, yeah, their three kind wins of a are ten point game. Their three wins are LIU, a miracle comeback against UCF, and Cincinnati, and they have right. not won an FBS home game in 370 days. Yikes. I mean, so it's there's there is some weird weird stuff going on. All right, one national game I think I need to ask you about. The rest of them are kind of, I mean, it'd be it'd be weird to even throw them out there because it's not that week. There's going to be upsets. There always are, but it's hard to pick where they are. But Oregon and Utah. You mentioned Utah in the way that the you know they played Baylor earlier this year. Uh, They're coming in the Big Twelve next year, obviously. I, I, you know, I think everybody, uh, everybody in the room here picked Oregon, except for Emory picked Utah because they're just Kyle Whittingham's coaching them up in a way. But I think the difference in this game is that Bo Nix exists and he exists mm-hmm. as an Oregon Duck, and that's probably going to be the difference in that their defense will probably give him fits, but he's just too good right now. Yeah, this game is important. Oregon needs to start fast. I, I think. The, the first thing I think about when I see this game is the line. Six and a half, right, at Rice Cycles is pretty impressive considering I think Kyle Whittingham has won his last uh, 29 of his last 30 games there, right? So Oregon is getting the respect of like a top five or six team, I think, kind of line-wise. And I think they are. I think they've got an excellent roster. I think they're a well-coached team. 
they need to start fast because it feels like things snowball at Rice Eccles. Like that is not one of those situations where you want to have a fumble and like a three and out to start the game because it's 10-0 and you just you don't want to be climbing out of a hole. The one problem that I mentioned like 10-0, they could climb out of that. But uh Bryson Barnes, it, he was good last week, but USC's defense does not have a pulse. And this this Oregon defense does. And so it's about when you turn Oregon over, if you do, and Bo Nix, once again, has been very good at taking care of the football. If you do, you need to get seven. Like, there is no doubt about that. You have to because you're trading field goals in moments where you need touchdowns. Oregon's probably going to be – I mean, they played – Washington really maximized their performance against Oregon. I feel like Washington played the best game they possibly could. And they barely got out of the out of well, there with a win. Yeah, I think Washington. The difference in that game was Washington being home. Like that was. Yeah, that, that was, was what that it was. was to me. Yeah, that was solely the difference in that game. Yeah, that was the difference in the game. And Dan Lanning, knowing that, like I don't, I don't like. We want to talk about this right before we 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 go, because uh, I think you and I are on the same page on this. I have no problem with anybody going for a fourth down. Uh, situationally, if it makes sense, if you like, especially if you're like, yeah, this is how it's going to yeah. be. I think coaches are not used to this yet. And you're seeing, like, Houston, bad plays on fourth down. That Oregon-Washington game, they call a lot of bad plays on fourth down. I watched Mike Norvell call some really interesting uh, plays that are, like, not... Uh, the, how like, about our guy Gus Malzahn with, Gu- on the two-point like, yeah. you know, two version? Yeah, basically Gus Malzahn, down like, fourth down, like in, your, yes. in those situations, like, you've got to, especially if you're more than, like, a, a yard, like and, and, like, a yard or more, like, not even, like, the full yard or more, I think you need to have something that is very high percentage, whatever it's going to be. You know, it's got to be super high percentage. And it just seems like everybody's trying to catch the other guy off guard. And, you know, if Dan Lanning calls, if they call, Will Stein calls high percentage plays in the Oregon game, Oregon wins by 21. Like, that's how they could have flipped that one. They didn't, though. And, like, if Houston calls a better play, on fourth down after the bad call, they might win right. the game. Like it's those things that are kind of like they, they they bug me. And I know that I'm yeah, just a, watching. Going, going for it on fourth down was the right call. Like just the play call was bad. You yeah. just you need to, you need to make sure you follow through on the play call. And I, I but I think Dan Lanning's a good coach. And I was really impressed. Once again, like I thought Oregon. I came away from that Washington game thinking Oregon was a better team. Uh, I felt pretty confident in that. And I thought Washington. Wow, that was an unbelievable effort from them. Much like the Texas Oklahoma game. I kind of felt some the same way, but mo- but more so in the Oregon game. I did. Uh, I think Oregon though is is poised to to. I think they're going to win this game. I know Bryson Barnes a lot of confidence. I know how good Kyle Whittingham is at Rice Eccles. This Oregon team just feels a little bit different than most of the Oregon teams because the quality of player on the outside in this game is not as high as it was. And, uh, you know, Irving's a massive, a massive difference maker, obviously too. like the Utah, Utah defense has been stout, but, uh, you know, I, I think they, this is the unit up front for, for Oregon that can just kind of keep that force going and going and going to eventually impose their will. Cause they've done a pretty good job of that this year. Yeah, absolutely. Josh, thanks a lot. We'll talk to you again next week, buddy. Yep. Oh.